So hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Thinking Aloud About Film. Today we are on our eighth episode of Hu Xiao Shen Films and we are going to be looking at Dust in the Wind from 1986. Yeah, so this is the third in these sort of autobiographical coming-of-age films. This was co-written by Wu Nian Jen and obviously I, I apologise for the mispronunciation there and it's based on an incident that happened in his young adulthood. He was was a, also an actor. He played the lead in Edward Yang's uh, Ya Ya or One and the Two, as it was known in the in, in in the West. So it's kind of interesting with that whole interlinking of of these careers in that in the new Taiwanese cinema. Yes, I suppose it's partly what makes it a movement rather than just like a cycle of films or or a series of films. I made a trailer for this podcast, <laughs> which, you know, I'm just trying to hone my editing skills, but also I find it like a, a really instructive way of articulating or realizing what the uh, film's main themes are. Because what happens is, you know, in order to select the shots, you go very slowly, yeah, fast forward slowly through the film. And of course, you've seen it already, so you you begin to pick out scenes that are important, but you also begin to see recurring themes in the film. And, you know, I, I had originally begun with, you know, just hunger. Yeah, like everyone's hungry, food is such a concern, people are fainting about food, they're losing food. But quickly you realize that like cinema is also a real motif. Uh, and also letters. The whole film is told through letters, right? And of course, the postman figures very prominently in the yes, narrative yeah, as yeah. well. Because there's all these scenes set in a cinema and they're inside a cinema. And then there are various scenes where they're watching cinema outside. And I think we were both watching this film on the day that cinemas reopened in the UK after six months. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of quite a nice coincidence. And I was thinking, actually, while watching it, I'd love to see this on the big screen. I saw it in a very beautiful French DVD. Uh, and I must say, it was beautiful to see. I mean, you know, because the images are so still and the, so, and the camera is so static, maybe there's less attention paid to the image in, or I was paying less attention to the image, until you begin to see it in a very beautiful copy. And then you see, you know, how beautiful the color is deployed, you know, the, the landscape has, you know, its own resonance. It makes you see this in a different way. You see reflections. The image operates on you physiologically in a different way. Uh, your eye is drawn differently uh, and better. Some of the images that we've talked about in Hu Shen's films recur. I want to underline this, actually, because this is, for me, a kind of test film for people who profess to love films. Because actually, if you're looking at this film like a short story or a novel or a play, you will hate it. You know, because the way the narrative, the dialogue, you know, those anchors, plot construction, on traditional plot construction, on characterization, on dialogue, you know, this is a different type of film, yeah? Because kind of the story is sold in a different way. It's kind of... A, it's all piecemeal kind of character and relationships. And in fact, the plot itself, you've got to be attentive. Yeah, it's kind of, it's put there for you, you know, but sometimes it's an incident. You've got to be watchful for these recurring patterns of imagery. If, if American cinema 
is all about making, you know, repeating everything three times at least so the audience knows where they're at. They know where they're at geographically, spatially, psychologically. This is a film that asks you to put it together. Yeah, in, in many ways. Yeah, because often you're not even told. I mean, you know, between scenes, time will have passed. You know, you have to judge it based on the haircuts or based on a, a line of dialogue, and which may come some way into the scene, and you suddenly realise, oh, oh, right, they've been in the city for six months rather than rather than two days. It, it is a more difficult film to engage with than than the, all the previous films. It, I think. it makes but more, it, but it is worthwhile. Yeah, it it makes more demands and it offers greater rewards. <laughs> but so why don't you tell us the the plot? It's quite a slight plot. This boy and a girl, I guess they're mid-teens in a small mining town in in Taiwan. They're kind of going out. They're in some kind of relationship. It's a poor town. Life is hard in the town. And they both decide to move to the city, although you're not really told this. So the boy moves to the city, gets a job in a print works. At some later point, the girl moves to the city and gets a job as a a seamstress. Um, And they're kind of drifting around the city. They go to and from the, the hometown. And then... He does his military service and she's going to wait for him. But then she doesn't. She gets married to someone else and and, that, and the film ends. I mean, it, that's the bare bones of the plot. That on which the, the story hangs together is just about, you know, this young couple who've been going out together since they were teens. You know, they go into the city together. They look after each other. Then he goes into the military service and she dumps him for the postman. Uh, and then he returns back to his old village. So you could look at the film that way. Or, you know, you could look at it as a kind of, maybe it's too much to say, as a kind of a middle march of Taiwanese life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, but you do get this texture of a society, of the politics mm. of the time, of the family relations, of the belief system, of what motivated them, or of how hard it was to get by. Yeah, again, the thing about food, uh, you know, the relationship to America, the Timex watch and consumer culture. There are so many things going on in this film. When would you say the film was set? I'm actually not sure, but there are historical incidents referred to in the film that would place it, as do the films, which, of course, we don't recognize any of the films being shown. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but they are shown so as to be recognized because the scenes are obviously quite extensive, you know, and iconic. I'm not, I mean, myself, I would say that the period is probably the 60s. I, I was watching it and I was trying to work this out. Where, when is it set? Because you're not, you're not explicitly told. In terms of the age of the person the film is based on, it would be the, uh, presumably the 50s or the 60s. I've seen one review that says it was set in the 50s or 60s. There's an academic paper that said it was set in the 70s. I was thinking, was this contemporary when it was made? But I don't think it was contemporary. No, it, it, it clearly spans, uh, what, 15 years. So, you know, I'm sure that it is the 50s, you know, and the 60s and probably the very early 70s. You are introduced to the boy when he is five or six. Okay, so there, yes, there is a scene when he's five or six, but it's, it's midway through the film. Yeah. And it, it ends when he's, what, 22 or something? He's finished military service. And he's done two years of military service. So it covers like 15 years, let's say, yeah? I'd say that's the interesting about this film. You know, the, the time span is not clear and the setting is not clear. But that, that does, kind of doesn't matter. That's the kind of, th- I think, tells you about the storytelling, really, that we can't quite agree on that. And reviews by people who know about Ho Shen's films can't agree on that either. I would be very surprised if uh, the era wasn't clearly recognizable 
to a Taiwanese audience. This film is full of stuff about cinema. The posters that uh, you know, one of the kids is painting. Yeah, he's yeah, he works at a cinema and he's constantly painting posters. The films that are shown, right, uh, which are Chinese or Hong Kong films. Uh, I mean, I think all of that would date it very clearly to a particular period. I'm sure the costumes as well. You know, there must be a particular period demarcated. You know, as the years of hunger in Taiwan. I mean, you know, in Spain. It's like uh, the you know the post-war years, right? Where people literally like you know there was this kind of attitude to food. I mean, there's a line. It really resonated with me, as many of these films are doing. You know, where uh, one of the characters says, "Well, I forget what this one ate, but that one will eat. will have to eat rocks or something." Yeah, that kind of you know, <laughs> food is so scarce, right? That you know people are fainting from hunger, right? Uh, and and when you realize all of the scarcity ar- around food. So many of the incidents in the film take on a different tenor. I think it was the Udden article, you know, that also mentioned this, that the boy's refusal to eat, you know, is not just him, you know, being a mischievous boy. It could well mean that he's leaving rice for other family members to eat. In the early stages of the film, you see these these scenes of the, of the family, but then you, you gradually realise later on what the reasons were for some of that that behavior yeah. and, and it's, it's kind of darker than you, than you, than you think. Yeah. But uh, again, just to underline that to a Taiwanese audience, what those years are would be known. Yeah. They wouldn't be a mystery. You made me think of how many other settings there are that recur, you know? So again, the film begins with the train. Yeah. Going through this mountain and a tunnel, you know, and it actually is kind of poetic because obviously it's, it's in the sense taking you into the past into this place and into the past. When the film starts, you just see this speck of light in, in the dark and you gradually realise you're in a tunnel. I mean, that's a, a sort of amazing opening. You then cut to the protagonists and they're, they're not looking at that view. They're, they're just reading, the, reading their school books. So that, that's quite interesting. They're, there's all these partings and leavings at train stations. You know, she, the girlfriend nearly gets kind of abducted at Taipei train station. And, and uh, so all, all these key events are happening there. He parts from his grandfather at the train station. Um, so yeah, it does seem to be a, a recurrent thing in terms of, you know, this traveling from the country to the city and, 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 and back again. Yeah. And there are also other things that resonate in that travel, you know, so the travel is an economic migration. It's not a travel for pleasure. You know, they're not, not going to Taipei to go to the theater, right? They're going there to work and to live in, in very uncomfortable conditions. The reason why I might very grandiosely have compared it to Middlemarch is because, you know, you do get a sense of a whole culture in the film, mm. you know. So there's that incident where one of their friends, you know, complains about being beaten by his boss, right? And mm. how he's not mm. treated as a human, how he's treated as an animal. And then, in fact, he ends up in the hospital, doesn't he? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's all quite powerful but also seemingly thrown away. Yeah, it's a kind of, you know, a conversation overheard in the open air cinema. You know, then you cut, yeah, then you see him in the hospital, but actually I wasn't quite sure whether it was him or whether it was, yeah. Uh, and, and was it two days later or six months later? That's or, right. Or whatever, and you don't really know. I, I think that's the thing that more than all of these last few films have shown you like a, a series of incidents that layer upon each other and you kind of piece together what's going on this one is much less linear you have to do more work to work out what's happening there's also this amazing sequence like about halfway through the film where 
the the male lead kind of starts having these hallucinations yes. and uh, so he he's got bronchitis he sort of see, and he's in the hospital and... yeah he's got bronchitis and he, and he sees a um like a shaman on 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 a beach and then he's in then he sees this footage of a of a, a mine of coal miners on a tv um and then suddenly starts having this what may be a flashback to his father having a mining accident and you suddenly realize why his father is walking with a stick earlier in the film which you mm-hmm. haven't been told um then you then you see this um flashback even further to him well to a conversation between his father and his grandfather about uh, when he's ill as as a very small child and and, and it's something to do with heritage and naming and, mm. and it's this very strange sequence that, and you can't quite work out is this reality is, is is this memory but some of it is stuff he can't possibly remember i took it uh, at face value and i thought that was another you know so interesting element in the film yeah because it's revealed that the father is adopted and mm. you know that the grandfather had hoped the son would name the child after him thus kind of you know establishing a continuity within that particular family that is stronger than just the bonds of adoption because the adoption thing obviously comes up in a time to live and a time to die as well and and um you wonder whether this is something to do with um which again would tell you something about the times the time period this is set in that if this, if this is something to do with the the the, the chinese civil war sort of mid mid to late 40s and and the exodus to taiwan so that the, there were perhaps a lot of displaced people and a lot of children without parents it's an outcome of war i mean it's another it's another thing that resonates again you know that's quite common in cultures you know that have suffered you know from from occupation or civil war or something like that people get killed yeah children have to be moved on along the family uh, you establish kind of, you know, uh, different responsibilities and relations. So again, you know, it's not, it's, it's very powerful emotionally in the film as a kind of resonance, right? If you want to put all the pieces of the plot together, it might not link up as in a classical narrative, but it's there, yeah, and draws you to think, yeah, and it is just like, it's almost like an emotional chord or something in a piece of music yeah it's kind of you know you don't know exactly how it fits into the plot but it zings yeah i've looked at various reviews since watching the film and it, it does have a kind of mixed response there are some very negative reviews of this film um for people who couldn't engage with it then some very positive ones but uh, but a lot of a lot of reviews talk about the fact, the fact that this the central relationship you know the boy and the girl who are supposedly in love i mean they never touch they never kiss you, they hardly speak to each other so you, you know you don't see what attracts them but also you don't see why they break up it does all resonate it does all make sense i think my sister and i often discuss this because if you're brought up in a small town a lot of those things in a way are both so easy and so difficult in the sense that you know in a town of about 3000 people right when you know at a time when there was not much mobility across towns or whatever you know think of how many young people there are you know think of how many young people your age or a couple of years older there are right so basically you're limited to like six people right like you <laughs> you know you have to choose amongst these six so actually 
you know, our idea of love, of falling out, yeah, and, yeah, and so on, and, mm, you know, changing yeah. boyfriends and fun, uh, it doesn't necessarily apply. So, you know, I'm just wondering if there's something like that in this film as well, right? Like, they, they grew up together, there's limited choice, they're almost like fated for each other, they like it, right? Because there's, there's nothing to indicate that they don't like, they very much care for each other. You see them very much looking after each other and, and being yeah, fond yeah. and actually being jealous as well. So... You know, I think it's very unfair to say like there's nothing going. You never, you know, you never see their emotion. You do, but it's emotion expressed in actions. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and really, I think there's almost like uh, that heart heart wrenching moment. Again, to me, a clear reference to Bicycle Thief, right? Where his bike is stolen. It, it's a motorbike, but yeah, it is such. Yeah, I mean, it's such a clear reference because, it, it, and again, similar to the Sandwich Man. Yeah. Where you know where the clothes get stolen, and you and you, you know that. It's not his bike, it's the boss's bike. And, and you know, it's, yeah. And, and um, his whole world can fall apart. And, then, and that was interesting. That, that scene where the bike gets stolen, I think, was, the, uh, was one of the few scenes where the camera moves. And it's kind of, there's a tracking shot where the, shot where the camera is, is kind of quite shaky, which might be a technical problem, but also kind of helps imbue the kind of panic that he's feeling at that point. Yes. Um, it's very powerful, right? You know, because you think this will ruin his life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she's she pleads with him not to do it, right? And and it's so interesting because it is a kind of a commentary on morality and ethics, and you know, and yet you you can see all the reasons why he would steal it, and and you wouldn't judge him for stealing it actually. But her sense of panic about him ruining his life is also a form of care, right? So um, you know, so I do think that the feelings between them are very well established and, and very well established through action. Again, certainly in Spain, you know, a marriage contract was like a marriage contract, right? Like you were building a life together, right? And, uh, you know, your families were involved. And, you know, to be doing that before marriage, to be giving you money, to be asking you to send my family money, you know, that is already establishing links that are kind of, you know, the security and confidence and so on of a marriage to be, right? So that, that you know, is informed by trust and, yeah, and so on. This, this is why this is such a fascinating film, because we actually, yeah, we can't quite agree on, on what actually was happening and, and the meaning of it, and quite a few of the reviewers can't. So, so the, there are, while, while watching these films, I've found you know, two or three reviewers who have written about each of these films. And in general, with the previous films, they're all kind of in agreement, you know, about about the merits of the film and, and what was going on in the film. This one is just kind of wildly different views of both of the quality of the film and in terms and of what what is happening in the film. And I think that's what that's actually what's fascinating that you're perhaps bringing your everyone is bringing their own life experience to, to, bear on to sort of yeah. piecing together this film. Yes, I think that's possibly true, um, you know. But I also think I'm right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is it is a film that's set like in the 50s, 60s, maybe early 70s. Again, in a society of transition, people are still rooted in village life and village ways. Kind of, I'm sure no one in Taiwan now would you you know would ask their boyfriend, oh, you know, just send my money, money, send, send my family money, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know, so I think there are kind of actions that speak feelings, right? And I think this film is full of them. And this is why, you know, he's torn up about it at the end. I'm not surprised by her actions either, 
right? Like there's the the letter that is I think his brother writes him where he says you know the mother thinks he's what well, I forget what the language used is, but you know a better, a much superior type more, of man. more stature or something. Yeah, yeah, he's a man yeah, of greater yeah. stature, you know, yeah, than, yeah. than 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 him. Right. And, you know, that is probably what happened. She met a man of greater stature, that's all. Yeah, and greater yeah. income and, you know, and, and, and probably liked him just as much. Uh-huh. He was a postman. I mean, that's a good job with prospects. Exactly. <laughs> and who looks who looks quite tall and handsome in the photo that we get yeah, to see of him. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, her actions are understandable. His feelings about what happens when he breaks down is understandable. You know, I mean, I think... I, I'm liking this description that just came to mind. I've seen the film as a series of notes, yeah, like, you know, that kind of, yeah, zing emotionally at different moments and then kind of re- reverberate throughout the film, you know. One comment I saw in one of the reviews of this is, is that the original script has a lot of information that is not revealed in the film. Yes. So it's kind of clearly he just took decisions about what he was going to include on screen. Or maybe he thought that the image and the lighting and the actors and the camera movement were conveying all the information necessary. There's some interesting stuff about the reception of this. So it didn't see, I mean, it didn't do well in Taiwan yes. on the original release. So there's this kind of view, view of, of those, that group of filmmakers that they were making films for an international audience and not for the domestic audience was the, was the view of some film goes in Taiwan. But also this one didn't, wasn't received that well at in, in you know the festival circuit or didn't it didn't win any prizes um the combination of those it, it it does seem to be denigrated a little bit in his filmography compared to the films around it but i, but I don't think that's fair yeah um and i think another thing that really struck me watching this is this is only you know this is 1986 six years earlier he was making cute girl exactly um, i mean so it's only you know, six years what were you doing in 2015 you know <laughs> but i think i'm i mean i'm finding it so impressive because i think you know, the boys from Feng Kwai, A Summer at Grandpa's, and this, to me, they're kind of like masterpieces. I mean, I, I will be seeing them again. So, you know, this is not an intellectual exercise for me. Like, you know, it's not just that I appreciate the camera moves or whatever. Like, they're really resonating. You feel that it kind of it resonates, A, with my history, but also that you are discovering a world. Yeah. Mm. Well, this is it. I think it's very, it's very interesting about, because all of these films are, are kind of showing you, you know, these personal situations against this backdrop of the history of Taiwan. In his, and we've then got, so in terms of what we've got to come, the next film is uh, Daughter of the Nile, which is, is uh, again, another one which doesn't have a great reputation, but it's really interesting to see that. And then you get these three films that are, that are focused on Taiwanese history. So he's sort of, different periods of Taiwanese history so it's kind of he's very moving continuing that movement from the personal to the um to, to the to the kind of nate story of the nation I, I i guess this period up to 1987 which is you know, viewed as this kind of new Taiwanese cinema period take includes this and includes daughter of the nile and then we move in, into a, a new a new kind of dynamic a new, a new phase in terms of the casting of this the grandfather is played by lee lee Lu, who was in became quite an important figure in Ho Shen's career. So he was he's he's in the next two films. Mm-hmm. And um so he plays he plays a grandfather again in Daughter of the Nile and he's in City of Sadness. And then the puppet master is based on his life story. because oh. um, he he was a bit well <laughs> stating the obvious because he was a puppet master. <laughs> um, but and, and so yeah, well yeah exactly, exactly. No, literally, literally that he was he was a puppeteer, uh-huh. I believe. And I think you sort of see that there's a great scene in this film where he's where he's just walking along the train tracks with his grandson and just like letting off firecrackers. And I think there you perhaps are seeing the kind of 
you know, the comic slapstick type timing that he had on stage, I guess. But There are recurring images that I'd like us to just um, speculate on a little bit. This film, we discussed trains, uh, we discussed a little bit the mountain landscape, which is so specifically a landscape of Hu Shen's films. Um, this also has pool halls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, we're beginning to see more cinemas of, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, as, as settings uh, of different kinds. Uh, we see village squares might be too strong a term for it, but, mm. you know, places where various streets, yeah, a, a yeah, square. Um, <laughs> yeah, and one thing I noticed was in terms of recurring shots, because uh, I'd noticed like a few shots where, he shows that staircase leading up to the family house. Yes. Um, but then when you put the trailer together, I was watching that and there were, and it's like, okay, there's a, a whole bunch of shots very early in the film that I hadn't even noticed that he's using that shot. Yes. Um, so again, positioning the camera in the same place as, as the camera, as, as the characters grow older oh. through the years. Yes. Um, which is fascinating. I was very interested as well that the shot that introduces the tunnel is also quite familiar to the way that uh, the military service is filmed. Yeah, mm. it's almost, mm. yeah, it's shot in this oval, yeah, that is very dark inside and the light is outside. Um, you know, this thing of having light in the depth of the middle of the shot is a characteristic who thing so far, yeah. But normally it's done with squares, yeah, uh, or, or or rectangles, yeah. But I was, you know, the the train and the the headquarters for the military, yeah, are kind of oval, aren't they? Yeah, so kind of... Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, there's also this recurring thing he does of dividing the screen like vertically with yes. with objects. So there's a brilliant scene in the Taipei train station with, with which is full of pillars. And there's a, a, a guy basically steals the girlfriend's bags and he chases him and, and, and they have a fight. But they, they're, they're, they're sort of separated you know, they're, they're between two pillars in the middle of the screen and the girlfriend is, is is sort of two sets of pillars away you've got this wide screen but the actual action is just in this very tight frame that he's defined and that's where the fight is happening yes i mean that is becoming very uh, very characteristic um i love the score for this which unusually i think is really just very minimalist strings yeah with with a little bit of flute <laughs> thrown in. Yeah, yeah, you, and and, it, and there's not a lot of it. Yeah. Music by Ming Ming Chan Chen and Ching Chun Su. Yeah, so he also did did the score for the Puppet Master. Right, uh, it was lovely, and and kind of again, this is what also made me think about you know some incidents as a series of notes, you know, because like the score, it is almost just a series of notes. It's like the plucking of a few strings. Yeah, but mm. it's very mm. very effective. Uh, in the film, so um, I loved it. Um, do you have anything to add? It's a it's a, a great film. It, I, th- I think I described it as visually amazing and mildly infuriating uh-huh. <laughs> somewhere else, and, and it, it kind of is because it, it is a little bit. You you do have to piece it together. It's it's not what you know. It's, it's not a popcorn film. You know, it's kind of a you you, you do need to concentrate. But it's but it is entertaining. I mean, it, it is moving and it is it is entertaining. Yes. But I can see why it's of. I think of, of these three films, I think it's The Time to Live and The Time to Die, which is the one that, that is best known internationally. And and I, th- I think there's a, there's, a, there's a reason for that. I think just to end with, I mean, I find it very entertaining and very absorbing. And I think Adin, where he says, 
oh, you know, unlike his earlier films, this didn't win any prizes at festivals. You know, but it did win Best Director and Best Screenplay. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't win Best Film, right? You know, so... There, so there's, there's, an, there's an interesting side to that about Taiwanese cinema in film festivals in the in the 80s that basically it was very hard for Taiwanese films to get shown in competition at the major film festivals like Cannes, etc., because they, they didn't want to annoy... China. The People's Republic of China, yeah. So... Hu Shen was getting a load of prizes at the Nantes Film Festival because that was kind of a slightly second division film yes. festival. Um, uh, with apologies to anyone in Nantes, but, yes, but we love Nantes. Um, <laughs> we love Nantes, but, but you know, it, it, not one of the you know three or four main film festivals, right? So he was getting all these prizes there, and then I think he got some some award at Berlin. At, at which point, I think City of Sadness was the first one that actually got shown in competition at, at some. But I think at Venice, but it, but it, it was it, it's interesting that the re, that he was getting this this recognition that kind of forced Cannes etc to include him. But the the other thing is it, it then brings home to you because you think why why was the Taiwanese military government funding these really interesting new wave films? And the reason is that essentially there's clearly this geopolitical thing going on in in terms of culture. Of that, this is this is one front, right, in the kind of battle for influence of between course. People's Republic of China and, and 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 Republic of China. I remember reading Thomas Alsacer on the New German Cinema, and basically his argument was, you know, why does any state fund, you know, cinema, and you know, it's to fly the the flag abroad. Basically, that's kind of you know why it does so normally, and it makes perfect sense in uh, Hu Xiaoshen. Uh, films in Taiwan, just as it you know makes sense in Pedro Almodovar films in Spain. I mean, they're each yeah, trying yeah. to give a different message, but you know that is the reason for funding a national cinema. That said, I wanna I wanna bring up the issue where they said that um, there was resistance to this Taiwanese new wave because people argued that this film was now being made for the festivals rather than for an indigenous audience which mm. I have, I can't comment on uh, at the moment. But actually, I think it certainly later became an issue internationally, where, you know, the state was funding uh, all of these films in Canada and so on, that actually, you know, Canadians couldn't, wouldn't cross the street to look at, right? Because... Yeah, same same in the UK. And I think also we, as we all the kind of Shaheen films we've been talking about were were kind of started to become geared towards an international art house audience rather than a, a domestic cinema audience. Yes. It, it's, it's interesting. Though those with success, whereas, you know, the Canadian films are, uh, you know, not haven't been as successful uh, uh, at doing that. Um, so I think it is a concern and I think it is an issue, though, you know, um, I don't know what kind of an issue it is with whose films. Uh, certainly it's brought me a great deal of pleasure so far. And I think this is a truly great film that I highly recommend. So uh, thank you all very much for listening. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Uh, and um, by the way, if any of you know which films are the films shown in the cinema sequence in this film, please do let us know. Otherwise, we'll see you in a few days' time when we discuss Daughters of Mine. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.